Well, today we're going to be talking about some famous last words. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm from the South, where I'm from. Uh, the most common last words are, hey, y'all, watch this. And I have a few stories where um, I almost died because of some real redneck stuff that I used to do in high school. Uh, one of those stories I'll share with you, I was 16. You know, my first car was a 91 Toyota Celica. Uh, it was a four-cylinder. It was all of about 100 horsepower. I have the same engine now in my push mower. Um, but I, this car was not fast, I'll just say. But I thought it was fast. It was the fastest car I had ever owned. And so I like to see what I can get it up to. And one, one night, I uh, was driving down this back road and... Uh, you know, just a, a, a country back road, no lights or anything like that. And I decided to see how fast I could get my, my car to go. And I got it up to 114, which that sounds pretty fast, but it took me like 15 minutes to get <laughs> to that. Um, and so I got it up to 114, and I'm looking at the speedometer. I mean, I got the, I got the pedal match all the way down, and it is just not getting above 114. And... True story, the car, so the car is, is like jerking back and forth about a foot each way, and I realized it's because the uh, 91 Celica, it had the pop-up headlights, right? And so um, it kind of messes with your aerodynamics, and I think, well, if I turn the lights off, then uh, I'm going to get better aerodynamics. And so I like, I, Tiffany was in the car, um, she can attest to this being true. I looked at her and I said, and there was a, there was a, her, one of her friends in the back seat, and I said, hey y'all, watch this, and I turned the lights off, 114, we did creep our way up to about 120 with the lights off, in the night, uh, down the back road, we have a lot of deer in, in Georgia, but we survived, no wreck, but anyway, that was one of my near death experiences. Um, just because of my stupidity. But I'm sure you guys never did anything dumb when you were 16. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I just share that just to share a story with you. Anyway, um, so we're going to be looking at some famous last words today. Some of Jesus' last words, which aren't really his last words. It's weird that we're even saying his last words because he, he actually rose from the dead and he's spoken many more words and is still speaking, so they weren't really his last words, but you know what I mean. They were his last words before he died and then came back to life. So um, we're going to be looking at four statements that he made while he was on the cross. I'm going to be jumping around to a bunch of different verses in the Bible, so I put them on your bulletin there. Hopefully you got one when you came in the door or on the back of that. Um, but let me, let me pray for us really quickly before we jump into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, your, your church that's gathered here and for the opportunity for us just to look into your word and to learn about you. Um, and, and we thank you that your word is trustworthy and that it changes us as we study it. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand this morning to be changed and that your spirit would just move freely in this place and do whatever you want to do with us. And that Jesus would be exalted. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, next week is Easter. Easter is a big deal for us, right? That's the big day. That's the day that our King Jesus rose from the grave. And so we make a big deal out of Easter. 
Um, it's the biggest day for us because um, if it wasn't for Easter, we don't do this. This is all pointless. If it wasn't for Easter, right? But Easter is a big day. It's the day that Jesus rose, and so we celebrate big. We do it big on Easter. We've been asking you guys to invite people. Hopefully you're inviting people and you're praying for them. Um, and so next week we're really going to be focusing on his resurrection. This week we're going to be focusing on those, those last hours where he's on the cross. And so there's kind of some heavy stuff there, but it's really important that we understand what happened there um, so that we can really understand what we're celebrating next week on Easter. Okay? So um, we're just going to do that by looking at these four statements. And the first one is found in Luke 23, verse 34. Luke 23, verse 34, it's on your sheet. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus, you got to put yourself there in the scene. He's, he's just been arrested. He's been um, tried and falsely accused of blasphemy against God. And, and uh, the crowds, they all voted that he be crucified. And um, this is all part of the plot of the religious leaders. And so he's... Um, he's Arrested, he's beaten, he's tried, he's then um, he's crucified. Okay, and he's he's hanging on this cross, and and he's surrounded by Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross, who spit on him, who punched him while while he's blindfolded, who um, mocked him. He's surrounded by religious leaders who plotted this whole thing, who came up with this whole uh, idea. And he's surrounded by disciples, his buddies, his best friends who actually abandoned him. When this all went down, they didn't stand up for him or try and stop it because of fear. And he looks around at this whole group and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. It's, a, it's an incredible statement. And, and it really it allows us to, to get a glimpse of the grace of God. The grace is a word we use a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's a word in the Bible a lot. And it just means undeserved or unmerited favor. Undeserved, unmerited favor. And so, this is an incredible picture of God's undeserved favor. Jesus, looking at all these people around him, none of them deserving favor. And he says, Father, forgive them. Only, only God can forgive. Because you can only forgive someone if you are the one that's been offended. Have you ever had to forgive anyone before? You only have to forgive if you've been wronged, right? And so only God can forgive in the end. At the end of the day, at the end of the age, the only one that matters is God. He's going to be the one who has the last word. And we believe in one God. One God. But He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and that's Jesus. And God the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus the Son says to the Father, forgive them. We know that if God doesn't forgive, we're in trouble. But Jesus will have the last word. It says in Matthew 7, 13-14, Jesus speaking, He says, Enter by the narrow gate. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide 
during this year of, of like exploring what the Bible really said for the first time. And I remember reading those verses. Um, and, and they really, they shook me to the core because I really thought most people are going to heaven. And there's just a few who won't. It's like, all you got to do is say, hey, forgive me, God. And I had done that. Right? And so when I read this, I thought, wow, that is totally the opposite of that. I thought the broad road is where everybody, that's where most people are on, where most, most all of us were, were headed towards heaven. And then there's this narrow road, like where Hitler and, you know, the worst people were on. Um, but it's actually a narrow road and a narrow gate, and, and that narrow gate is Jesus. So, Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, and he, and he can ask the Father and say, Father, forgive them. Only the one who's wronged can forgive, and only those who, who have done wrong need forgiveness, right? So, so far, this really isn't about us. This story is about them. Jesus says, forgive them. We weren't there. Somebody else did this, right? So, so who was he talking about? Was he talking about the, the religious leaders, or was he talking about the, the Roman soldiers who were carrying out their duty, or was he talking about the disciples who abandoned him? Who's he, who's he referring to? Is he, I mean, who's ultimately guilty, responsible for Jesus being crucified? Everyone. Everyone. We. Me. We are guilty. We're responsible. Because here's the deal. It says in Isaiah 53, 5-6, this is a prophetic scripture about Jesus being crucified. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reason that Jesus was crucified was because of us. I mean, the facts are that Jesus could have, at any moment, he could have called down 10,000 angels. The facts are, there were, there were many times previously where they tried to arrest him, and somehow, in the middle of this, he just walks out of the crowd. I mean, he, he was completely in control the whole time. I love, there's a scene where the Roman soldiers and this mob comes to arrest Jesus in the garden. And they say, we're looking for Jesus. And he steps forward and he says, I am he. And when he says, I am he, the entire crowd, the entire mob and all these soldiers fall down on the ground. And then he just stands there and waits for them to get up. <laughs> and then they arrest him. He was in charge. He was in control. He gave himself up for us. We are responsible for his crucifixion. He died for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. So, when he says, Father, forgive them, he's saying, this forgiveness is it's available to all of us. To every one of 
It doesn't matter how terrible of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter how awful the things are that you've done. Forgiveness is offered to you. See, that's the thing about grace. It's unmerited. It, the moment that you can deserve it, then you're not qualified as a recipient anymore. We can't earn it. It's the beautiful thing about grace. It's given freely to us who would receive it. And so he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's interesting that he said, they know not what they do. They, had, they hadn't grasped what they were doing. They didn't realize as they crucified Jesus that he was the Son of God. They were ignorant of that. But here's the thing about that. They still needed to be forgiven. Which tells us that ignorance is not an excuse. We're all responsible. Alright, so then the second statement that I want to look at is he says this amazing statement, and then this is, this is going to really unpack the heart of what this good news is really all about. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says Matthew 27, 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus say that? <coughs> what, what would prompt Jesus to say, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, isn't Jesus just obeying what the Father wanted him to do? If you're familiar with the story and how it unfolds, the Gospels, they tell the story of Jesus and how this all kind of unfolds. And we know that Jesus is planning this all along and the Father is planning this all along. This is, this is the Father's will. He's just carrying out the Father's will. And yet the Father forsakes him. Why would he forsake Jesus when he's just carrying out his will? When we understand this, we really understand the truth of the gospel. See, the reason that the Father forsook the Son was because when Jesus hung on that cross, the Bible says that He became sin who knew no sin. See, when Jesus hung on that cross, all of my sin and your sin and all the sins of every believer were placed on Him. A theologian named John MacArthur, he puts it this way, he says, The Father treated Jesus as if He had committed every sin committed by every believer who would ever believe, even though He had committed none of them. And there's a verse, it's I think one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake He, the Father, made Him, the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So here, here's, let me just make that even more plain. When Jesus was hung on the cross, God treated Him as though He had lived my life. 
committed all the evils that I have committed. So that then God could turn around and treat me as though I had lived Jesus' life. As though I had lived a perfectly righteous life. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what makes the gospel so incredible. This is why the gospel is such good news. See, we didn't just receive forgiveness and start with a blank slate and a zero in our account. He paid all of our debts. And then he heaped all of the spiritual blessings into our account. He, he paid our debts and he gave us the righteousness of Jesus. So we go to Jesus with absolutely nothing, with no merit of our own, undeserving of forgiveness. We go to him and we say, here's all my sin, Jesus, here you go. And he says, okay, hold on a second, let me, get, let me make a trade with you. I'll take that sin. And here, I'm going to give you my righteousness in exchange. It is, it is almost just impossible to believe. It's almost just so ridiculous that it's, it's almost impossible to believe. But this, make, this is what makes the good news good news. We aren't just forgiven. We are just forgiven. It's not just like our sins are no more, you know, they don't matter anymore. Our sins were punished on Jesus. You see, God is a just God. He is a just God. And so, rebellion, sin, will all be punished. But here's the deal. For those of us who put our trust in Jesus, our rebellion, our sin, it's already been punished. It's already been dealt with on the cross. That's why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on that cross, for the first time ever, for the last time, the Father turned his back on the Son. Never again, and never before that time, but the Father turned his back on the Son and poured out judgment on my sin and on your sin. And then, in return, He gave us the righteousness of Jesus. It's heavy stuff, but this is what the Gospel is about. The third thing I want to look at that Jesus said in John 19, 28-30. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It is finished. It is, it is settled. It is over, accomplished. In other words, there is... There is nothing else that needs to be done for our sin. The payment is completely paid. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to earn God's favor anymore. It is completely paid. All was paid. And so when he said, it is finished, he meant 
Jesus did. It says in Hebrews 10, 12-14, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For all time. One sacrifice forever. We don't have to keep making penance. We don't have to keep offering sacrifices. God, if I do this, will you be happy with me? We don't have to do that. It's finished. It's settled. Settled. We are no longer debtors to God. We don't owe Him. He has paid our debt. And now, we have been given total access, complete pardon. We are completely accepted by God because of Jesus. And that's why we're all about Jesus here at Valleytown. That's why it's Jesus that we talk about every week. It's going to be Jesus every week. Because it's all about Jesus. The whole book is about Jesus. All of history has been about Jesus. And in the end, it's going to be about Jesus. Because He settled it. He finished it completely. He paid our debt, the debt we could never pay. And so we don't try and add to what Jesus has done. Because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. I mean, a lot of people just want to add Jesus to their whatever else they're already believing. They try to just combine a bunch of different stuff. It doesn't work that way. It's either Jesus and only Jesus or nothing. Jesus paid it all. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. When we try and come with our, our good works also, and with, you know, our other religions or whatever, we, we can't. It's only by Jesus. It's finished. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says there is no condemnation. None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. Zero. No condemnation ever. Not for a little while, right when you sin, or right after you sin. Not just a little bit of condemnation because you had a bad day. Until you work it off. So you pray enough and get back into God's favor. Or you had a bad day and you sinned a lot. So I need to spend about an hour, an hour and a half in church reading my Bible. You know? It doesn't work that way. There's never, ever any condemnation, not for a moment and not even just a little bit. That, that wouldn't be God being just. Because he'd be punishing sins twice. And they've already been punished. And God is just and he will only punish sin once. So when we're in Christ, there is no condemnation ever. Not any. And not for any amount of time. And it's, it's that truth that sets us free from the, from the grip of sin. Sometimes we, we come to know Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus, but then sin still somehow keeps us in its hold. And we think, well, how, what, what's the deal? But why do I still feel like i got this holding me back and I can't break free? 
And the reason is because we haven't really grasped the gospel. We haven't fully grasped the fact that we really are completely forgiven. We really are totally set free. And we would never go back into the sewer of sin when we have available to us the full joy of God's presence. The Bible says that in God's presence there is fullness of joy at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. You hear me talk about that a lot. Because you can't get any more than full, and you can't have any longer than forever. And in God's presence, there is full joy forever. Amen. And we're all looking for joy. We're all looking for satisfaction. And we go looking in the wrong places because we have these little voices whispering and saying, you know, well, that'd be pretty fun. That'd be pretty pleasurable. And then you go do it, and it leaves you empty. Am I the only one who's ever experienced that? You go and you try and you look for the satisfaction that you're seeking and it leaves you totally empty. And so you, you know, you go try again. It leaves you empty again. You try again. It leaves you empty again and again and again. And that's how you get tangled up in the web of sin. And the thing that cuts us free, the thing that breaks us out of that terrible cycle to realize that we are totally, completely free. We're hanging out in a jail cell that the door's open. We fail to turn around and realize that the door's open. The Bible says we are not slaves to sin. So when we feel like we're slaves, we bought a lie. The enemy's saying, you can't get out. You cannot get out of this. And the truth is, we just need to turn around and see that the door's open. Jesus has once for all time set the captives free. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so, we're free. We are totally free. And now we serve God because we know that is the path to our greatest joy. And, and sin loses its luster. It's just not as desirable anymore. And when the enemy comes and tries to convince you that it is desirable, you combat that with the truth. No, in God's presence there is fullness of joy at His right hand. There's pleasures forevermore. Now I'm not going to believe that I'm going to find joy in my sin anymore. I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow regretting that dumb decision. The gospel sets us free. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Because the truth is you are free. And you've been hanging out in a jail cell that has the door. There's no condemnation for us. And the last thing I want to look at is Jesus, I'll just read it. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him and Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, 
I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to, I want to make a few observations from that statement that Jesus makes. Today you will be with me in paradise. He says, I say to you, okay, I say to you. Now how could Jesus be so sure? And we covered this. The reason he's so sure is because he's the one who has the final say. He's the one who has the final say. We see that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23 through, or 21 through 23. And Jesus is talking about this, this last day. We're all going to stand before Jesus on the on the last day. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus has the last say. He's got the last word. He's the one who determines who enters and who doesn't. And that's why he could say, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Another observation that I want to make, maybe not, so, not as fun of an observation, is that Jesus did not then turn and look his other way and say, and you too, buddy. <laughs> He didn't. <clears throat> he didn't. He didn't say anything to the other guy. I just want to point out that not everyone goes to heaven. A lot of times, you know, we just believe every time someone dies, they go to heaven. But the reality is, not everyone will enter in. And the deciding factor, we can look back at that passage we just read, is. Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. What, what's going to determine it in the end is, do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Do you have a, a relationship, a friendship with Jesus? Do you have a friendship with Jesus? And so, this guy hanging on the cross, I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of time to build a friendship with Jesus, but... He just says, Jesus, he's believing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. He's just putting his trust in Jesus right then and there. Isn't that time to be baptized? Isn't that time to go through any classes or read the Bible or be asked 20 questions? He just, Jesus, would you remember me? He's putting his trust in Jesus right then in that moment. If Jesus will remember me, then I'm going to be good. <clears throat> so I just want to point out that salvation is simple. A lot of times I talk to people and I say, well, what's holding you back from Jesus? And they say, well, I'm trying to get my life right, you know? But here's the thing. If you are waiting until you get your life right, you will be waiting forever. Only Jesus can change you ultimately. And so we come to him with our lives all jacked up. We go, here it is. The mess and all, you already know about it all. I'm coming to you with the whole mess. And he goes, yeah. And he takes it. 
He's put his trust in Jesus. A child can be saved. In fact, it's easier for a child to be saved because it takes this simple, childlike faith. We just put our trust in Him. We don't have to have every question answered yet. I mean, we come to Him, we have all kinds of questions about the Bible. How, well, can that be right? Can that, you, know, you don't have to have every answer yet. You come to Him just as you are with all of your questions, with all of your sin, just as you are. And He, and he welcomes you. He wants a friendship with you. And then um, he, he, notice he says, you will be with me. You'll be with me. Right? Why? Because heaven is where Jesus is. Heaven is where Jesus is. If Jesus isn't there, it's not heaven anymore. Heaven's heaven because Jesus is there. Okay? Heaven is good because Jesus is there. A lot of people think they're going to heaven. They don't even like Jesus. <laughs> But the, but the thing is, if you don't have any desire to spend time with Jesus now, to have a friendship with Jesus now, if you could go to heaven without a friendship with Jesus, you'd be miserable there because it's all about Jesus all the time. Heaven is where Jesus is. He tells them, depart from me. Depart from me because where I am, that's heaven. You can't be with me. Unless we have a relationship, heaven is where Jesus is. It's, it's a place for those who are friends of Jesus, who love Him. It says in James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Crown of life. Talking about our inheritance in heaven. Which God has promised to those who love Him. Those who love Him. It doesn't matter what prayer you pray. It doesn't matter if you've been dumped or sprinkled or what ceremony you've gone through. All that matters is do you know Jesus? And if you know Him, you will love Him. It's impossible to know someone like Jesus without loving Him. If you don't love Him, you don't know Him yet. And I would just challenge you to get to know Him. And you can get to know Him just by this book. It's more than just a book. This is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that you can take home as our gift. And just read one of the Gospels. The Gospels are just being good news. And it's all the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're all about the life of Jesus. Get to know Jesus. And as you get to know Him, you won't be able to help but love Him. And then the, the last thing I just want to point out is, He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He, he, said, he gives Him a specific time, a specific place. This isn't some mythical little place or dreamland or where we go in our subconscious. It's a real and physical place. Heaven is. He says, today you're going to be with me there. It's a real place. But here's the other side of that. Hell is a real place too. I have to, I have to mention that part, or else I fail to teach the truth of the Bible. That the other place, the other option, is hell. 
to those whose sins have not been paid for. See, the reason we don't go to hell is because our sins have been paid for on Jesus. We put our trust in Him, our sins are paid for. Those who have not put their trust in Jesus will be in hell. And that's the truth. Jesus actually taught more about hell than He taught about heaven. Because He wanted us to know it's real. It's very real. We have to take it seriously. And that's why we celebrate what Jesus did for us. Because He spared us from hell. No one will be treated unjustly, I promise you that. God is perfectly just. No one will be treated unjustly. So you say, well, what about good people? There are none. There aren't. We have all, the Bible says, we have all turned and gone our own way. The Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We have all rebelled. We have all sinned. In our hearts is wickedness. We have no hope without Jesus. But with Jesus, we are forgiven. His blood covers us. It cleanses us. And His righteousness is credited so, Josh and Don, you guys can come on up here. We're going to have a chance to just respond to the gospel. and uh, We're going to pass the buckets and um, you'll have an opportunity to give if you would like to do so. And I want to just take this opportunity to reflect on what... What Jesus did for us. And, and reflect on that grace that's been given to us. And that there, there is no condemnation ever for those who are in Christ. And if you aren't in Christ. If you don't know Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Him. You can know Him. And it's as simple as it was with the man hanging next to Him. You can just put your trust in Him. And He'll change you. So right now, let's just pray. And if you want to put your, your trust in Jesus, you can do that right now. Just in your own heart, in your own words, there's no special prayer. You can just tell God that you want to put your trust in Jesus. You want Him to change you. And He'll do it.
I pray that anyone here who does not know you, that you would relentlessly pursue them, give them no rest until they turn their lives over to you. God, because there is nothing better. There is nothing better than knowing you and following you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right.